welcome to Cult Movie Cult, where we watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And joining us today is a special guest, Katia Blagrove. Katia is a New York-based writer and producer. Her work has been published in the Huffington Post, Complex, and Jezebel. She is the creator of the web series Leah the Late Bloomer, which I personally had the joy of working on. Katia, thank you for joining us today. Yes. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited to have a a new official member of the cult here. So (laughs) this is the fifth installment in our series 80s Indies. Today, we'll be discussing the very first Spike Lee joint, 1986's She's Gotta Have It. I want you to know the only reason I'm consenting to this is because I wish to clear my name. Not that I care what people think, but enough is enough. And if in the end it helps some other people out, well, then that's fine, too. I consider myself normal, whatever that means. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. But what are you going to do? This was the deal. She's Gotta Have It follows a young woman, Nola Darling, who is seeing three different men and trying to decide which one she might like to be with, while also exploring her own sexuality and position in the world. Yes, and uh, Spike Lee joint, and our very first that we've talked about here, and his first feature-length film. And it earned a lot of positive reviews and it essentially launched his career. Um, it was, he had done, a, I think, a short before that, that um, had got some, you know, gotten some notoriety, but this is his first feature length film. Um, and of course, he would go on to do School Days and do the right thing. And from there, you know, just kind of shot off to be one of the, I mean, in my opinion, one of the all time great directors out there working, still working today and still making great films. I had seen this film uh, a while ago, so I rewatched it uh, to talk about it, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it even more than I had remembered, um, especially for first effort. I thought it was very, very confident movie, very unique and sort of experimental um, in some ways. Um, just very fresh and, and new. I mean, you could tell, like, you know, watching other movies from that time, it was just something different. Um, but Katie, you know, I want to talk to you about it and then get your thoughts, opinions. Is this the first time you've seen it um, for the show or? No, I, I've watched it. I, I start. I watched it because when the TV show version came out, I was like, oh, wait, there was, this is based on a film. So I the Netflix went show. back. Yeah, I was very surprised at how progressive it was at that time. You know, um, just like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Women having sex just because they want to. Oh my gosh! Like, you yeah. know, like you know, it was it was really cool. Like, wow. it, it was definitely something. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something exactly. that um I, I wouldn't exactly. expect to come out. You know, mm-hmm. before I was born. So yeah, 1986. This film came out. Um, Jeremy, had you seen you, you had seen this film before? I saw this film a couple of years ago for the first time. Okay. Um, which you know is. And, and like like a lot of the films we've talked about on this podcast, um, this is a super low budget yes. film. I think the the total budget I'm seeing here is 175 thousand, um, which mm-hmm. in 1986 it was certainly doesn't go as far. Yeah, certainly indie, but it doesn't go as far as it would today because you got to think the whole film yeah. is shot on film. <laughs> so you know you immediately take a good chunk of that, and it all goes right. straight to lab processing fees and you know sound mixing, and so mm-hmm. you know Very pretty true. pretty low budget, uh, pretty pretty ragtag effort. And mm-hmm. I, and I love yeah. the the creative solutions in this film. Um, just as a filmmaker, you know, the, <laughs> like, the this the, the the pure simplicity. Um, obviously, the the black and white, which I'm sure yeah. we'll get into, um, is really rich because you see a lot of these kind of low budget indie films that are in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, what stood out to me was how well 
um, they used black and white. It, it felt like there were conscious decisions being made um, thinking about the fact that it was a black and white film. It wasn't just a film that happened to be in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, th- this one was really exciting the first time I saw it for me. And watching it again today, there were things that I didn't even notice the first time that yeah, definitely. were, you know... Or things really, I forgot really about that really stood out the, this time when I watched it, um, including those, those snapshots you talked about, Jeremy, like the photographs, um, mm-hmm. which is something that Spike Lee kind of uses over and over in the film. Not, not too much, but just, you know, kind of is, is sprinkled throughout, I noticed. Um, the film opens with snapshots uh, along with the credits. And, you know, they're in black and white. And some of them are, are young children playing in the city or, you know, it's mixed with older men and women. And um, really, I just saw that as like snapshots of the city at that time, I guess, when they filmed it. You know. Also, like yeah. those those photos were taken by his brother. Oh, were they? Okay, great. Yeah, which also goes into like the whole like low budget. Yeah, of it, definitely. Yeah, yeah. His dad did the yeah. music. His sister was like the actress, and mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, I, I totally love those pictures too because it really captures like Brooklyn, yeah. and mm-hmm. that's what really probably like made him mm-hmm. Spike mm-hmm. Lee because like yeah. he yeah. everything about him is like authentic. Right. Definitely. Unfiltered. Definitely. Did his brother take the photos for the film, like, or was it something that was unrelated? Do you I'm know? not sure. Okay. I, I have a feeling okay. it could have been for the film, mm-hmm. or I mean, I don't know. I feel like he just reps Brooklyn so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could have just been like photos he yeah, had. Definitely. Even just through the photos, but um, I mean, so so the, the the place where the the film takes place primarily is in the Fort Greene neighborhood mm-hmm. um, in Brooklyn. And I, I've spent a lot of time over there and I, I just, it, it is such a kind of community, mm-hmm. um, especially around that park during the summertime you'll see. And there are just so many people just there just meeting up with their friends, yeah. like cooking food and, you know, through the winter, mm-hmm. it, you know, obviously it gets a little colder out, but it's still just a very central meeting place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know like the neighborhood is even, the neighborhood has changed. It's a very different place now than it was yeah. in the 1980s. Um but even so, it's even so, it still has some of that that real kind of community mm-hmm. vibe, and and I think that it's interesting that it's a movie where like the, these characters are so in each other's lives, even though especially the men don't really like each other, <laughs> um, but but they're still like it's like they're all living in the same neighborhood and constantly in contact with each yeah. other, which I think creates this really interesting conflict because it's not like this intense yeah. hatred and like this macro is really brutal conflict it's just kind of like these guys are around each other they yeah. already know who each other are yeah and they're they just, just sitting on have a bench this, like... together in the park you know yeah yeah i like that though yeah it's very authentic it's very um i thought it was a great way to to open the film and kind of bring you into that world and uh, to show you mm-hmm. like you know kind of how spike sees it you know his city and um and the city is sort of like a character in in the movie i think too so it's a, it was a good way to start it and um from there we are introduced to Nola Darling, who is our, our main character and the character that everyone's talking about in the movie, pretty much. Um, <laughs> she is the she from the title. And she wakes up and uh, speaks directly to the camera, which is uh, a stylistic technique, another stylistic te- technique, which is you throughout the film. And something that I, I think is another, um, you know, just gives it like a kind of an energy and you really get the personalities of the characters that way, uh, just in a really quick way, you know, uh, just having them speak to the camera like that and uh, hearing their thoughts and, and things like that. I think it's a it's more interesting to me than standard like narration or voiceover. Um, it's just different. I thought it was kind of a cool cool way to do it. Um, but did you both like that that sort of like technique he used? 
I think so too because it was it's kind of it's intimate and it, yeah. um, about intimacy right. or lack thereof. Right. Exactly. And I, I think that was a very clever way for him to introduce us to Nola because mm-hmm. I mean it's already pretty um interesting for like a man to tell this story as well like and for his first film to be Mm -hmm. that like it is interesting you're right yeah yeah Yeah. so i think to have it open with nola kind of introducing herself Uh and not necessarily (laughs) just a story told about her and she's pretty much saying to us in that scene that like people are going to be talking about me in this movie yeah yeah (laughs) um and they do you know everyone has their opinion on nola um, and we mm-hmm. don't really hear from her too much uh, directly like that until the end of the film, I believe. I, I, mm-hmm. There might be maybe one other scene in between, but I think it's pretty much the beginning and, and the end, correct? Um, that she's yeah. speaking directly to us. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. That's how I remember That's it. That's how I, I remember think, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like something to say where she introduces herself and then, you know, the rest of the movie is like left to us to kind of gather mm-hmm. what do we think of her mm-hmm. based on what these other people say of her. Yeah. And yeah. then like at the end, she's like tries to like, I guess, defend who she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's allusions to uh, paintings and art in the film and, and a couple of scenes. And I that's how I kind of view Nola. And I think someone even mentions it throughout in the course of the film where they compare her to like a painting because, you know, different people can look at her and see different things. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like it's this movie's a lot about um, it's very much about interpretations of people. Um, yeah. you know, how one thinks of themselves and then how others think of them, you know, and, and how that affects you or doesn't affect you. Um, it was actually, it was really interesting. One thing I was thinking about with the idea of Nola as a painter, which I had never really noticed before. Um, cause there was, there was one line earlier on in the film where she's talking about how her dad was a musician mm-hmm. and was trying to teach her to also be a musician. I don't remember the exact line it was, but it was something like it was too much work or too much effort and commitment, mm-hmm. which I just thought was interesting knowing Nola's character yeah. that like yeah. the reason she doesn't want to get into music is because it's too much of a commitment. <laughs> Whereas like the, these works of art she's creating, she can kind of bounce around between different ones. Yeah. Like we don't really see her just working on one piece of art the whole movie. She's kind That's of true. bouncing around, which I think is Nola's whole thing. She yeah. doesn't like just settling in. She wants to yeah. have, be over here and then over, you know. You can't really and, pin and, her and so down. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and she and also it's interesting because she's not painting; she's pasting things on, mm-hmm. which is relatively in like you know it's not a, a really super permanent thing. Right, it, it's so easy mm-hmm. to just kind of peel one of those off and switch mm-hmm. it and move it around. So mm-hmm. I, she, she's just it's just so interesting what she's drawn to as an artist mm-hmm. and how her art is never really yeah. um never really harped on. You know, they, they don't really spend mm-hmm. t- any time talking about her as an artist. Yeah. but yeah. we're seeing it the whole time, and we're getting a sense of. A, the art she's creating, and B, how she's evolving mm-hmm. artistically the whole movie, yeah. um, which I think is, is really fun because, you know, it, it's so tough writing artist characters, I think, mm-hmm. um, and not just making it all about their art and what art they're creating yeah. the whole time. Um, but, but I think that in this film, they did a really terrific job of actually making her feel like a real artist yeah. who's balancing life and the work. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, her being the art itself, because, like, the whole film is her being perceived. Right. Just, like, how we interpret art yeah. and how do we see it. And they describe her as a freak. So it's like, what does that mean <laughs> to yeah. whoever is, like... Yeah. Watch, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does that mean to someone who's watching her or right. observing right. her? But is that a good or a bad thing? You know, <laughs> depends on the person, yeah. I guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Nola is definitely a very fluid character, I would say. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that, yeah, her art is kind of like that as well. Um, so that's a nice little, like, juxtaposition there. Um, 
So we are introduced to Nola, and from there, we're introduced to the other characters in the film, for, uh, starting with Jamie. And uh, Jeremy mentioned that there's a lot of names going on, sort of, you know, with these characters. So we're going to try to keep them all straight. But Jamie is, um, how would you describe him? I guess he's like the more straight-laced of her suitors. He's, <laughs> he's boyfriend material, like yeah. classic boyfriend material. Yeah. sort of bland, I guess, or like dry. Nothing overtly offensive about him right he's seems like all right guy yeah um well he's kind of possessive i think yeah no definitely yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. well he he definitely shows himself to be you know something yeah. that we'll get to that later but um in those early scenes you don't really know exactly what to make of him um they do mm -hmm. show a lot of intimate scenes between them um early on and there's these um these still shots uh actually i was going to mention those because uh, not only do we have the characters speaking to the camera in these sort of static shots, but we have these, I, I saw them as kind of like portrait-esque, like tableaus. Um, the um, uh, Composed beautifully, by the way, by Ernest Dickerson, who um, I happen to share a last name with, but <laughs> 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 like uh, cinematographer, you know, longtime cinematographer, who is, um, I think, one of the best out there. And uh, so they started their collaboration here, and um, you know the way he sh he shoots these scenes, um, these intimate scenes between the characters. I just thought were you know were really beautiful, um, and there's very little movement from the camera or from the characters, uh, which is sort of like the photographs. There's candles all over the yeah, bed. Yeah, the candles. <laughs> Fire hazards. I, like, I would not yes. want to move. <laughs> exactly. I was gonna mention Every that. Time there's I see a it, lot it of candles going on. Um, no. But you know, I think he was. I think Spike was trying to create a mood. You know. And I think he definitely yeah. did that. Um, and with so with these very static shots, he also mixes in some more kinetic camera work. You know, where the camera is moving around a little bit more. Um, this is definitely something you would see utilized a lot more in subsequent Spike Lee films, notably uh, his breakthrough from 1989, Do the Right Thing. Uh, there's a lot of energetic, you know, camera movement, handheld camera, stuff like that. Uh, but he does mix some of that in at some, you know, some points in the film. But I, you know, a lot of the shots in this film are, are sort of more static and, and um, but I thought it, it fit the aesthetic of the, you know, photography and, and whatnot. Um, and I mentioned his longtime cinematographer, Ernest Dickerson. Um, and actually, I was joking with Jeremy that I was going to try to convince Spike to come on the show and, you know, tell him I was related or something. But <laughs> that didn't, you know, didn't go through with that. But didn't work. Uh, yeah, didn't work. But um, then we were introduced to Nola's friend. Uh, Clorinda and former roommate, and she gives her opinion on on Nola. Um, and so we're hearing from these different perspectives, uh, which gives you more insight into the characters and and lets you see them in different lights and and learn more about them uh, and the ones speaking about them as well. Because the people that are speaking to us, I, I think we get some personality, you know, traits from them. Just the way they're talking to us, the way they're talking about Nola. So again, it's an interesting way, you know, because I, I see this as a character film. And it's an interesting way to, you know, to show us all the characters, I guess. Um, and also, like, um, after this, there's a montage, uh, a bad pickup lines from various men. Um, and <laughs> <I just laughs> there's a couple choice ones I wrote down. I'll, but, uh, I just want to rock your world. That was one of the 10 throbbing inches. Yeah, it was, there was some good ones in there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's like a, just a fun, fun little um, montage he throws in there. But, that's a kind of cool one, too, because it, it's just so... Um... It's so confrontational. Oh yeah, it's very and in your face. It, it, it's fun. Be well, it's fun because you know we're not really we're not really in Nola's shoes necessarily. Like we we we're with her through the movie, but it's everyone talking about her. Yeah. But in shots like that, that's no that's us getting to 
um, experience what Nola's experiencing. That's, that's true. That's yeah. getting outside of the that, those opinions of her and what yeah. we're getting. And we do have a lot of that. And in a way, it almost to me feels like even in, even in the interviews, like anytime someone is talking to the camera in this movie, it almost feels like because you're with Nola so much that they're it's them talking to Nola. Yeah. Uh, because she has this awareness of what everyone is saying of her, <laughs> and I don't want to say she doesn't care. She does care what everyone thinks, but it's kind of like she understands that. It's a period of growth for her because in the yeah. beginning she doesn't totally understand that she just has to do what she wants. Right. Um, she's 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 doing what she wants, but she's kind of struggling with it. Mm-hmm. And throughout the film, she kind of learns that oh, no, she's gotta she's gotta move with what feels right and mm-hmm. what feels comfortable for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like she doesn't know what she wants yet, so she's not sure what she is yet, sort of, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, speaking of in your face, then we meet Mars, played by Spike <laughs> Lee, and I, I just love his introduction. Because he he literally crashes into us on his bike, <laughs> and he's just like <laughs> screaming when he's you know it's just like one of those like great um, intros, but um, and I, just a little behind the scenes thing, but you know because his character Mars is such an interesting name, and apparently he couldn't come up with a name for the character, and he called his grandmother, and she told him that name because that's actually his the name of her grandfather, so like his great great grandfather, oh, name is Mars oh, or yeah. something like that, so. I thought that was interesting. So yeah, a lot of like personal connections in the film. Obviously, uh, his father's in the mm-hmm. film. So, um, but anyway, yeah. so Mars is another man in her life, um, talking to us about Nola, and again played by Spike Lee. Um, and you know he'd go on to act in uh, you know I would say a decent amount of his films, but this is this one stands out to me. Um, and this character became somewhat of a I don't know he became like an ad spokesman with uh, for sneakers, right? <laughs> was it Nike? Anyway, so for this movie. Um, he is also with Nola, I guess, dating, right? Um, so they're kind of dating the same time as, as she's dating Jamie, or at least... Yeah, he's in her rotation. <laughs> yeah. And she's showing him her apartment and her paintings. Um, we also are introduced to another friend who's who's a lesbian, and she... Um, she so she gives, like, a different perspective, which I thought was interesting. Um, and she comes back a little bit later. Um so we do get some female, um, you know, like friends of hers and, and former roommates and things like that, which is cool, um, along with the men. And then we have Greer Childs. So he's the third third man in, in uh, Nola's life. And uh, his first line is very telling about him. I was the best thing that ever happened to Nola, darling. <laughs> his first line when he pulls up in his car. So um, And he claims that he made her who she is. You know, he sculpted her. Um, that she was uncivilized and, you know, <laughs> he wants to try to get her out of Brooklyn and all this stuff. So you kind of, which is, re- which is get who kind of is. interesting because the idea of like made her who she is, but the whole movie is the fact that nobody really yeah. knows who Nola is. Right. Um, <laughs> and everyone thinks they know who Nola is, mm-hmm. but no one really yeah. has any clue. She doesn't even, totally she doesn't know. even really know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, oh yeah. He's, he's, just, he's just terrible. I mean, <laughs> but in a funny way, like he's just so over the top to, you know, to me. Like he's doing push-ups and telling Nola, like the minute you get fat, I'm leaving you. <laughs> and it's like then he wonders why, like she, you know, orders a salad at, in the restaurant and stuff like that. He he's the one character I just didn't understand what she saw in him. Yeah, because yeah. you know I get with Jamie, it's that safety, it's that romance. Yeah. That even though she's not a monogamous person, I think it's very human nature. You just want intimacy mm-hmm. in some way, mm-hmm. and I think that is what she was after with. Jamie right. with Mars, he's so fun. You mm-hmm. know, who doesn't like to laugh and yeah. you know have a yeah. good time? And with um, 
was Greer. Greer is, yeah. I just don't get it. I, I don't know if it's like a piece of herself that um, feels a bit of validation with him. Mm-hmm. I don't know because I mean, I, I think the thing with Nola is like, she's described as this phenomenon. And for me, it's like a bit of a, like a catch 22 is like, okay, you know, it's cool. Like there's this woman, she's like owning her sexuality. And then on the other hand, it's like, but why is that groundbreaking? You yeah. know? Well, at the time, I guess maybe for, you know, I guess independent films at that time, um, it was something that you didn't see much. Yeah. So it was, it was refreshing. Well, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't really mean it in a, like the film way like that. I mean it as a character. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I was watching it, even though I do enjoy the film, it, it struck me like, this is my, um, I think it was like my second or third time watching it, but it struck me as like, especially in 2020, Mm -hmm. like now that we've progressed, Mm -hmm. that this character is pretty much reduced to her sex life Mm -hmm. she's basically living the almost exact life of like like mars like mars has other women Mm -hmm. that's been shown you know obviously greer and even jamie who moved on like very Mm -hmm. quickly you know so i I just feel like it's it's interesting that we're saying like oh it's so groundbreaking but then it's like is it Mm -hmm. and then why why is that you know so well there's there is certain aspects of the film that i mean even spike lee admits that he regrets and (laughs) <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit more uh, when I go, you know, into a little bit more uh, later in the film. Um, but definitely, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of like both ways a little bit, um, mm-hmm. or having it both ways, sort of. But, but <laughs> I think his intentions were good. You know, I think what he was trying to do, um, showing the different sides of the characters and stuff like that, or you know, I think it was um, it was definitely a good idea. And, and um, maybe he didn't completely achieve everything he wanted to with it. And I think even he would ad- admit that. I mean, it was his first feature film and, you know, so early on in his career. Um, and I think he's learned a lot since then, obviously, um, script writing and all of that. So, um, but I think, in you know, at the end of the day, like this movie, um, it's very entertaining, very, like I said, character driven and just kind of like fun, you know, to see these people interact. Um, one of my favorite scenes is when all three men, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but she, she, uh, I think it's Thanksgiving. She brings all three men together and they have dinner together. And I think she says like, you're all going to meet eventually anyway. Um, and I just love <laughs> those interactions between all the characters there. So to me, that's kind of what the movie, you know, um, it doesn't always handle all the material, maybe the best, but I think, you know, it's just like a very entertaining film and, um, yeah. some good ideas going on. Um, be, what, what would we call this? It's not a love triangle. It's kind of like a love square or lo- yeah. <laughs> with four people. Yeah, I guess it's a. <laughs> if Jada Pinkett Smith said it, an entanglement. Okay, entanglement. <laughs> yeah. that fits. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, before that scene, there is a scene I did want to mention where, for her birthday, Jamie uh, wants to take her out for a picnic, and this scene stands out. I think compared to all the other ones, um, he tells Nola to tap her heels three times you know there's no place like home tells her to repeat that and we're introduced to our first and only full color sequence of the film um and jeremy as you mentioned you know it's such a low budget film uh, i'm sure the reason that they shot in black and white among other reasons was because it was cheaper <laughs> um which <laughs> makes sense right um but there is this little kind of i guess homage to wizard of oz going into color when that film breaks out into color. Um, there's a there's a, a scene in the park with two dancers in front of a large statue in Fort Green Park, I believe. And uh, they're um, in front of a big happy birthday banner and Nola and Jamie are watching them. And, uh, you know, it stands, it stands out as a, just a very unique and very cool stylistic scene. Um, but I wanted to get both of your thoughts on, you know, why 
like what do you think the reasoning or the meaning behind that sequence was well it kind of reminded me of something i I guess he wanted to like break reality for a a moment Mm -hmm. because i think of his other film crooklyn which i think came out sometime in i think 94 i'm not sure that sounds right yeah but there is um troy the main character the little girl there is um not even a scene, I guess like a whole act where she's down south with her aunt and everything is filmed completely different from the rest of the film. Like mm-hmm. everything is stretched out yeah. and yeah. abstract. And I guess it was like to illustrate that she's in a new environment and she's uncomfortable. Yeah. So I yeah. don't know if that's like something, I don't know if he's done that in another film. Well, maybe not that exactly, but he's very playful. I mean, he's very experimental yeah. in his films. So that's, yeah. that's one of the things I, mean, I like about him. So. Yeah, because I'm I'm thinking like I, I'm not sure if that's like a style thing for him mm-hmm. where it's like he'll take a act or a scene and make it completely different from the rest mm-hmm. of the movie. I I, just, I remember the first time I watched Brooklyn. As a side note, I thought my my television was broken. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 like he like he which you know I think is is indicative of how bold Spike Lee is as a director. Yeah, because like mm-hmm. it's not like for for those who haven't seen it and highly recommend go checking it out. Yeah. Um, it's not like. I'll, he gets a little compressed with it. It's like the characters are like, like their heads are like stretched, um, yeah. which I, I think is is a testament in the in the same way with this film that all of a sudden in the middle of a black and white film, mm-hmm. going to a color sequence and having that sequence just be a dance number is yeah. just so bold and daring. And to have no dialogue um, in the whole, you know, the whole film is dialogue pretty much. So it's interesting to have that juxtaposition as well. Just only music, no dialogue, and just the dancers yeah not only that but it's interesting like um at the park you know this is fort green in the 80s there's Mm -hmm. graffiti everywhere Mm -hmm. and he's illustrating it as this most beautiful elegant place you know these um elegant dancers doing you know something that you'd probably see in a theater just on top of a graffiti um (laughs) like platform you know i think so i think it was something to show like literally showing the color of brooklyn Right, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, it also has a kind of like we said, like a dreamlike feel to it. It does. It's like that because a, a lot of the movie for for a movie that's about love is kind of lacking real romance. Like most of the interaction she has with these guys are pretty. I don't want to use the word miserable, but like they're not easygoing. You know what I mean? No. Like like the, we, we we see we see flashes of kind of real love or at least real attraction, um, mostly with uh jamie but like and, and i guess you know some some moments with all three of them um but but this this to me that like that scene kind of feels like the one moment of the real film where nola actually gets to just be in love and yeah. like not have to worry about anything more complicated it's like she's just enjoying which of course comes back around because later on in the movie mm. we find out that the dancer is the the new mm-hmm. um person that he is hooking up with um, so, so it does come back because, yeah, because yeah, I think, you know, Nola, I mean, what, what makes her such a compelling character is that she has the opportunity to make things easier for herself in terms of making things less complicated. Because if she just picked a guy, like a lot of her problems would go away. Yeah. But it's not what she wants. She, <laughs> she doesn't feel ready to, and which, which I think is, is, is kind of cool because that's more reflective of real life. I, I know I've had plenty of conversations with friends, particularly now, um, which I, I, I think it's been a while since I watched the TV show, but I think they get into online dating a little bit. Um, but I, I've had plenty of conversations with friends talking about online dating. It's this feeling where 
there always might be something better. Or if they pass up one person and they find out that that person was the person they should go with, yeah. it's like so tragic. And I think that's kind of the thing with this feeling with, with this film is she isn't sure if any of them are the right person, but she's not sure that they're all the wrong person. So she's kind of waiting and letting themselves slowly reveal <laughs> their true colors that's over so, time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I, I don't know, it's, it's just an interesting thing that she gets that one kind of real moment of, of love and joy and it's in color, but that wasn't, even that thing wasn't enough for her to just say, all right, I'm going to go with him. Because then right after that, we see her, um, you know, hooking up with um, Mars. Uh-huh. <laughs> we talked about how beautiful that scene is in the park, and I think it is, but I, another way it could be looked at, I was thinking about this later, uh, because once Jamie kind of reveals more of his character, it's it's sort of like, He's showing this grand gesture, I guess, um, to try to win her over, uh, to win Nola over. And I don't know, it's just like, it's so over the top. <laughs> and like you said, Jeremy, yeah. he ends up he ends up going out with the, the one dancer, too. So it's there's sort of like an underlying, like, you know, I don't know. There's, there's something about it that's an interesting way to look at it. I think it kind of um, unveils a little bit of, like, he's not as sincere as he seems. Yeah. I think Jamie and Nola are like, pretty much very opposite polar opposites you know she's very carefree like i just yeah. want to do my own thing and he's very like i just want a relationship yeah. but ultimately i think yeah. he just wants a relationship like right. nola is just a challenge that he's like you know mm-hmm. trying to achieve but i think he just wants someone because to go with the dancer i was like oh my god I know. <laughs> you yeah. anybody else. I forgot about that <laughs> yeah the, the dancer that you booked for her birthday yeah <laughs> but, exactly um, yeah, right. <laughs> you know but um i, I think it kind of shows you know all of them, they all have their own motivations and intentions. And I think it's not so much that they just want Nola. I think, you know, Jamie, Jamie, he just wants a girlfriend, period. Mm-hmm. And I think Mars, I think he's just impressed with Nola and how grown up she is because he's kind of like a man child. And I think with Greer, he just wants her because she looks good on his arm. So mm-hmm. I don't even yeah. think they're like really chasing her. I think they're yeah. just chasing whatever they can, she can give them or whatever they think that she can give them. Yeah, right. I don't think Mars even specifically wants her. I think Mars is just kind of, you know, part of my language here, but a little bit of just a fuck boy who's, yeah. kind, of down to, who's kind of just like going because there's the one scene yeah. where like she's like, you know, Mars is not happening and he just picks up the phone and calls a different yeah. girl. Yeah. yeah, which which I love. I love that Spike Lee wrote himself as that character yeah. because yeah. like I feel like like you know most directors take themselves pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he he's putting this movie together and is saying, you know, there's one role for me yeah. and he doesn't put himself in as the good looking cool guy. He puts himself in as like the the most obnoxious. Yeah. He's fun. He's, he's, he's like hysterical. the comic relief. Yeah. Yeah. But um, he's, he's the comic relief. He's not the cool guy. He's not. The, no. He's not coming in like like he's not coming in trying to be, you know, yeah. Martin Scorsese or something. He's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to do my thing. I'm going to wear the Brooklyn hat. And, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think in a lot of ways, he's the most like Nola, actually, because um yeah, like like Katie said, like he's very, you know, she's very kind of like carefree and uh, not serious. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, Mars is definitely like that. So um, they are very similar, maybe a little too similar. And they both kind of like, yeah, like you said, Jeremy, like they're both kind of maybe just like hooking up or you don't really know exactly um, at first. I think Mars does maybe um, develop more feelings for her as the film uh, progresses, though. Um, you know, there's this, the famous like, baby, 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 please, baby, please. Um, <laughs> and uh, but Mars, I also like that he's not impressed by he's not impressed by Jamie's poetry. He's a, he, he has a great line. He's like, 
like ice cream on a summer day soft. Uh, <laughs> but I think Mars has his own kind of like poetry, the way he speaks, like a lot of the dialogue in the film, like reminds yeah. me of that, you know, kind of like, um, poetry almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're also introduced at this point to, to Nola's therapist. Um, so mm-hmm. she gives her account of Nola. Um, and Greer is not a big fan of the therapist because <laughs> therapist is, uh, essentially telling Nola not to be with him. Um, and even though he sent her to the therapist, yeah. even though, yeah, I guess, <laughs> Calling yeah. her a freak yeah. and that she needs help for yeah, doing she needs exactly help. what he does. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but she does end up, I think, with more perspective after, you know, I, I think the psychiatrist or therapist talks about that. But um, and then, yeah, so th- that's a funny little you know thing with Greer there. And then all three of the men, like I mentioned, are all in the same scene together, the Thanksgiving dinner. Um, and uh, I thought it was one of the most entertaining uh, scenes in the film. Just watching all these characters interact um, in the same room together. Um, at one point, Mars flips a coin to see who would get Nola. <laughs> like they're all just like fighting over her essentially at this point, um, just arguing with each other, um, going off on each other. You know who who would be best for Nola? You know, of course Nola doesn't Which really is, have any say in this. You know, she's kind of just sitting back. Yeah, and it's, it's it's a very poignant scene because she has like like she's just sitting there like, is anyone gonna ask me? Yeah, or like. <laughs> She's, but she seems well, she, almost like amused by it. That's the thing. Like it's it's yeah, almost like yeah. she expected this to happen when she got all three of them together. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I don't know. It's it, it's weird. Like like I feel like in her mind she would have liked it if they got together and actually worked something out and had some <laughs> kind of real conversations. Yeah. But she, I mean, she had to know on some level that there was no way she was putting these three personalities together in a room and anything productive <laughs> was was ever going to come out of it. But right. I don't know, but, but I, I think one thing is the way that that scene is shot is so freaking cool yeah. because they, you just have like this high angle camera yeah. just hanging over them, making them all look small. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Nola is shot mostly in close up through the scene. Yeah. Um, so, so it just, just from a, you know, a filmmaking mm-hmm. standpoint, um, the, the way that scene is set up, I know we kind of get into the, the medium shots a little bit as they start arguing a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, but I love just that high angle three shot of the, of them sitting at the table um, just looking like, like, they, like they're, they're cause it basically that shot is saying that they all have their different personalities, but they're all in the same boat. They're all together. Yeah. And Nola is the one they who holds the same... all the power. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Katie, what'd you think of that scene? I think it was all for her entertainment. Honestly. That's how I felt. Yeah. 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 She, yeah. she knew she was doing, I mean, mm-hmm. I was just like the audacity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, you know, and I think it was just also to let them know, like, I'm not hiding anyone from you and I'm dating multiple people because I want to, you know? Yeah. I thought that was refreshing in a way. It wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like there was these affairs going on and they were hiding things. Everything was just out in the open, sort of, Um, Mm -hmm. which was, yeah, it was different. Um, So from this point on, after this dinner, I would say the three men start to kind of push Nola more, a little bit more to make a decision. Uh, particularly Jamie and Greer and Nola. Um, we see her helping no- uh, Mars look for an apartment. Um, and this is when Jamie also tells Nola he's seeing another woman who is Ava, the dancer, like we mentioned before. Um, and so he, he just tells her flat out, like, you need to make a decision. <laughs> I like that he tells her that after he starts seeing the dancer. Uh, <laughs> but I guess, you know, Nola's seeing he has to men, secure. So whatever, you know, um, <laughs> So, and then Nola tells Greer, she pretty much sends Greer packing at this point, you know, because I think Greer is, is trying to get her out of Brooklyn and 
uh, trying to get her to go away with him for two weeks. And she says she doesn't want to do that. Um, and then we have a little scene, which I actually liked a lot with Jamie and Mars on the bench. Uh, and mm-hmm. and they're just um, <laughs> just talking. And it, I don't know. It's just like a good scene. And I like when um, the little moment when Mars is leaving and uh, Jamie just kind of looks at the camera, like looks at us and goes, this guy. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, breaking the fourth wall or something. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. So, yeah, I don't, I, JB has his likable moments, but I think Mars, like, out of the three, obviously, is, like, the most likable. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, it, to me anyway, but Jamie, um, oh, and then, so then Nola goes back to, um, the, there was her friend uh, who's a lesbian, and she tries to be intimate with Nola, and uh, Nola asks okay. her to leave. Um, and then... We see Nola uh, for the first time really alone, actually, um, in the film, and somewhat desperate, I guess. Um, she's calling Jamie to come over. Um, he's with the other woman, but he still decides to go over there. And there's a little, another little snapshot montage, Jeremy, of, uh, of Jamie on the subway as he's heading over there. And um, so those snapshots are like a returning motif, I guess. Um, and then so he gets the apartment, and Nola tells him that she can change um, and that she loves him. And I thought that was pretty powerful, like, uh, dialogue from her because uh, throughout the film, it's almost like she's been changing and changing and, you know, and then she tells him I can change because she's so desperately, like, wants, even if it's not him, like, she desperately wants something, you know, so bad. What what do both of you think it is that Nola actually wants? I think she just likes intimacy and in, in, in any capacity yeah. she can yeah. get and I think she gets something from all of them like even with Opal mm-hmm. it's like wow and it's so interesting how um I guess back then it would have been too much if he went forward with it yeah. the way he went yeah. forward with it in a Netflix series where she actually has a relationship with Opal oh is in that in the series okay and if she does okay. um interesting. but uh yeah but it's like he, he kind of teases it but yeah. I I, I yeah. feel like even with Opal like as much as she's like, oh, I'm not into women, she's like still kind of like, yeah, suggestively like she has some interest, and I think Nola she likes to be adored, and I think yeah. she likes to yeah. be wanted, and I yeah. think sometimes, like I think some people like they can have attachment issues, and not so much that they have it, they want to attach to someone, they want people to be attached to them, hmm. and I think sometimes it can give um, a sense of validation hmm. or love yeah. or a purpose, and. Maybe that's what she wants, as yeah. carefree and, and free spirited as she is. I think she she's still, you know, a human, and right. she gotta have it. And that it <laughs> can be anything. It can, it can be sex. It can be love, affection, mm-hmm. attention. Whatever it is, right? Yeah. I was gonna say about the um, you know, the fact that at a TV show you can explore these these yeah. things a little bit more because more like, time. Yeah, like you mentioned, like you know, would that relationship with her, you know, with the woman have developed more? Oh, you know if there was more time to do that in a film, you know what I mean? Like you don't really know. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe not, but um, I remember watching it for the first time. I kept expecting her to end up with Opal. Yeah. Definitely. I, I, was, I was just waiting for that to happen. It's like, <laughs> oh, she's just over all these guys, um, which I don't, I don't think would have been as strong of an ending. It, it is interesting. I was thinking about, we, we were saying before that um, Nola is maybe the most like Mars of anybody, but the more mm-hmm. I kind of think about it, it, it seems like she kind of is equally split between the people she's around and she has little aspects um, it's like she she craves validation like Greer does, mm-hmm. you know, like like she she yes. wants to be validated. Um, 
it's like she she likes the the fun the promiscuity like um like Mars, she she likes the the commitment and the and the romance like Jamie. So so it is a thing where she has a little bit of all of them, um, but but none of them totally fill that thing for her, which I think does make her really complicated. Is because she's not just after love. She's not just after a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not just after success. She wants a little bit of all of it, um, which I think is something in real life that is really complicated for all of us because yeah. we we're multifaceted. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think Nola, she almost accepts that she can't get that from one person. And that's probably mm-hmm. why she's so, she believes, like, yeah. why stay with one person? Yeah. Because one person can never give me mm-hmm. all of yeah. it, yeah. you know? It, it's almost yeah. like the title should have been, she's got to have it, but she can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like she can try. <laughs> she can try yeah. to have it. Have it all. But <laughs> she, might not be, she might not be able to get it all. Yeah. yeah. She, she's trying to have it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, she's trying. Um, well, so in that scene when, in that scene when Greer comes back to her in the, in the apartment and she says she loves him, but I don't know. I don't be, like. I don't for a second believe it when she says it. Um, but I mean, that's up for interpretation, I guess. But what you know, because we talked about her um, wanting just some sort of connection, uh, and mm-hmm. so what follows here is a, a somewhat controversial scene, and so Jamie. Uh, essentially forces himself on Nola uh, and then throws her down on the ground and he leaves. Um, and I will say it is a bit striking for a film that, for the most part, is, is fairly lighthearted and playful f- with a lot of it um, and comical in points. But this is like a harsh contrast um, also to the love scenes that came before as well, like the intimate scenes with the candles and all of that. Um, so do you think this was intentional, you know, on... on the part of I don't know the filmmaker or the the way they played it. I mean, how do you how do you feel about you know how this plays out here? Either um, of you, I definitely I definitely yeah I definitely do think it's a very controversial scene um, yeah. because it's like I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> yeah. If it's like a form of rape in a way because it's, it's been described it, it, that way and I yeah I yeah would say I agree I, with I, that yeah because. Um, yeah, the whole consent part of it is pretty gray area, but um, with mm-hmm. that, I think for me personally, the way I think it's open up to um, open up into interpretation in um, what the purpose of the role of the scene was for me. It kind of showed me that Jamie is not like the nice guy. I think Jamie is like the quintessential nice guy who's not mm-hmm. really the nice guy. Yeah, you know, he, yeah, he he goes to the dancer right after right. you know he couldn't get with Nola and then he's mad that she wouldn't commit so he forces himself yeah. and kind yeah. of almost tries to shame her for what he engages with her like sex after you know he shames her for over to him essentially yeah. like telling her you know exactly. telling him that she loves him and everything like that exactly yeah. and yeah. i and i think you know he he has this anger and he tries to use something that was once passionate between them as something as violence against her yeah. Yeah. and um kind of shows like what his intentions were the whole time or how he really yeah, feels about her and it's all definitely. about like possessiveness yeah you see everything in a different light once this scene happens i feel like um yeah. mm-hmm. but i well it seems like he really wants what, what he really wants if, if we're going back to kind of this character desires because i think i think if i were to pick a theme personally for this movie and try to parse it down to one word it would probably be want it's all about this like desire um, and I think what he really wants is control. Mm-hmm. He, he, yeah. It's like, like even like, like the conversation, which I thought was very telling 
where uh, Mars is saying, oh, she stands me up all the time. You never know with her. She stood me up for a, a Knicks playoff game and I missed two quarters. And yeah. Jamie's like, she's never stood me up. Like, you kind of get the feeling that, like, she has stood him up. He just didn't take it. Yeah. Like, when she doesn't show up, he's getting on the phone calling her 30 times until <laughs> she shows up. And we don't necessarily see it. But, like, you kind of get yeah. the sense that he wants to be in charge of what Nola is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is yeah. why... I think, like, even when she's coming to him saying, I love you, like, that's on her terms. She's finally come to that conclusion, but, and mm-hmm. he's like, I'm angry, and obviously have this in, insane overreaction, but he, yeah. I think the reason he, he's presented as so angry there is because it's no longer on his terms. The minute she's yeah. the one making that decision about their relationship, mm-hmm. it, he so can't, he can't that handle back. that. He's trying to yeah. take that power back, yeah. Um, yeah. And you mentioned reactions. I, I think the reason, well, I think my, like my thoughts on why this scene is so controversial is I'm sure there's lots of different reasons, but one of the reasons I think is because it's, it's more, it's not really what's happening because I think narratively it does make sense, but it's more the reaction or the non-reaction that Nola has to it. Um, these are just my thoughts on it, but I, I think she, she makes a comment about it to him afterwards, but to Jamie, but she never really fully holds him accountable or, or seems to be affected by it that much i mean i could be wrong on that but um but to me i think that's why i think it's more like her reaction to it or the way it's handled in, in, in that regard um why it's mm-hmm. and, and spike lee uh, uh, as i mentioned you know in, in later interviews he would say that he regretted including that scene um and he said if if i was able to have any do-overs that would be it it was just totally stupid i was immature it made light of rape, and that's the one thing I would take back. I was immature, and I hate that I did not view rape as the vile act that it is. So, you know, I, so there's different things. I mean, part of it's he was young filmmaker, first film. Um, but again, I think narratively, like I, I do understand why that scene is there. Um, so I think it's like more the maybe the reaction to it, like afterwards. Um, but I don't know. How do how do you feel about it? Um. I think uh, it's just two ways for me because uh, creatively I understand him regretting that and because I think as a creative uh, or a creator you don't want to put you don't want to send out any negative messaging but at the same time for mm-hmm. me I also think that art needs to reflect how the world is and there are yeah. you know there are men who do have control issues like that and who you know like the yeah. idea of like someone like Nola who is kind of in charge of her own sexuality that can be a threat to um you know the, the sexist values that we have in this world you know the 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 ideologies of a woman should be pure and not so right. I, I even though it was very controversial it's actually very realistic yeah. so yeah. me personally i don't have a problem when things are like are reflective of the world and how mm-hmm. people yeah. actually are yeah but I totally get why he feels the way he feels. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, Mark, like you're saying, it might also just... in, in The reason it feels so shocking, like you said, is maybe not the act itself, but it's kind of the lack of the response and the reaction. Yeah. Where it's yeah, like, it's we, like, we don't really see... Because that would be, for Nola, a really traumatic thing right, to deal with. Right. And we never really see her process that trauma yeah. and, and, and deal with it. Right. So I think that's the thing that makes it so shocking. I think if yeah. we have that scene, and then we get to see Nola... Yeah like go through some shit and kind of the 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 distrust and the the pain that it causes her it might not feel so brutal mm-hmm. um, but because That's we're true. kind of just left yeah. with it and then it kind of just goes back to oh normal nola 
Um, which is also, you know, right, realistic exactly. in terms of her, her putting up a front. Like if it, if it was a film that was a yeah. really kind of third person film where we were never in her mind in the way we are, it might not have been so severe either. But because mm-hmm. it's a mind where we have these shots where we're getting Nola's POV throughout the film and we're really in her shoes, we kind of expect to see the, the ramifications when she experiences something like that. True. Yeah. Katie, is, is there anything in the in the Netflix show that that hits on this at all? Or I haven't watched the first season. I watched the first episode of the first seasons today. Oh, okay. But um, I, I I kind of forgot. But I do know that in the first episode, um, instead of that part where the guys are like saying, "Hey, ma," you know, yeah. there is a guy that actually does assault her, like verbally, yeah. oh. and like grabs her up. You know, like oh. you bitch. I, I didn't want to, you know, f you anyway because she rejected mm-hmm. him. So in a way, I mm-hmm. think. Throughout the show, it kind of shows the violence um, that can happen against women when it comes okay. to like intimacy okay. and sex and all that. And there are consequences mm-hmm. to it. So there is reaction. So it's handled a little differently. Yeah. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. There is consequence. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this is basically the, the end of the film at this point. I mean, she says bye to, uh, well, she said bye to Greer. She says bye to Mars. You know, she kind of, um, you know, and she, um, well, she's with Jamie, I guess, a little bit at the end, but not not really with him. Um, she tells him. Actually, she tells him she needs she needs to be celibate right now. That's what she tells him. Um, but yeah, I think she needs a break. <laughs> yeah, she needs a break. Yeah. <laughs> so from every all these men, she just needs a break. Um, and she does tell him again that she loves him, kisses him, walks away. And I think you know, and, and I think maybe that's what maybe noticed. Like there's some there is something off about it, but mm-hmm. yeah. It, but anyway, um, yeah. so so Jamie calls her back and she ends up going back to him because she tells us that the celibacy didn't last long. Because <laughs> one yeah. one last time, um, there's that last scene where she's, it's just Nola again and she's alone speaking to us, speaking to the camera, the audience, whatever you want to um, call it. And there you have it. And um, I, one of her last lines, or I th- actually I think it's th- the last line, she says uh, that they might know parts of me. And then she goes and, and lays down the bed with the many candles, the fire hazard. And um, that, you know, and I think that's, yeah, they know parts of her exactly. And, and But at the end of the film, I mean, do, you, do the two of you feel like she knows herself better? Do you think she finally is starting to, to know who Nola Darling is? I think she's, she knows who she is. I mean, even when she reflects back on, when she tells us that she's no longer with Jamie, she's like, that was a moment of weakness. Right. I think she always kind of, knew who she was and that she was always a person that's just discovering life. And sometimes knowing who you are is also just knowing that I'm figuring it out, Mm -hmm. like being certain in that. And I think with her, she just kind of at the end, she just owns it. Like, yeah, I'm just not a monogamous person Mm -hmm. and I can't fit what other people want me to be. Right. She's cool Um, with that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I I think it's interesting too, that we, we end with her and and throughout this, the, the film that the candles are such a motif, which we hit on a little bit just as like a set design element. But like in terms of meaning, I think it's interesting because the nature of a candle is kind of this ephemeral thing where it's burning really hot and bright, but you only have a certain amount of time and then it goes down and and we see her, like we see her scraping off the wax and replacing the candles. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so it is kind of a thing Mm -hmm. where it's like Nola's moving through phases, but everything she's doing is kind of impermanent Uh, because she's so young, you know, she, she's, I mean, I don't know exactly how old, Nola is supposed yeah. to be, I don't remember if they say, but you know, she's so young and, uh, and even I'm that scene sure, at the end, actually. like the, yeah, the, like she's saying like the cel- celibacy didn't last long. It doesn't <laughs> explicitly say, I don't yeah. think, 
that it was Jamie. So like it, it easily yeah, could be right, her saying, right. "Oh, it didn't." It could be someone else entirely, it for all we know. Um, <laughs> you're right. Yeah, that's true. So, so, and I, I think that's what's kind of cool about Noel as a mm-hmm. character, and and with this film is that it doesn't feel like it's this self-contained thing where it wraps up and it's neat, but it also doesn't feel like it's so abstract that you don't get it. It's kind of like we, you know, we saw to get a little metaphorical mm-hmm. here, like we saw a candle of Nola's life. It burned down, and then you know she's gonna stick another candle on and light it, and. Yeah. She's going to have the next phase. Right. Sort of like the paintings. It's like an ever-changing um, mm-hmm. portrait, sort of, yeah. Um, so that's that's the end of the film. And um, it's uh, the end credits are very fun. <laughs> it's all the actors <laughs> saying their names to the camera while holding the slate, which is kind of like in line with how the rest of the film was, with everyone talking to the camera and whatnot. So mm-hmm. I thought it was like a fun little... And it definitely feels like a close-knit crew and like just a low-budget like fun independent film to work on. Um, I could be wrong, but that's the, the impression I got. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I like that little tag at the end. And um, uh, the, so the, I, I did want to talk about the acting a little bit because the characters are, are such a huge part of this. Um, Tracy Camilla Jones, or Johns, I'm sorry. Uh, she was uh, the one who played Nola. Um, it seems that she took a, a break from acting around 1991 but she returned as Mother Darling in, in Spike Lee's uh, 2012 film, Red Hook Summer. And she has a cameo, apparently, in the Netflix show. She's got to have it as Nola, which I, I, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. If, is she actually playing herself, or is that just like a... No, she, she played like a, like a some sort of... Do you remember that at all? Like an art buyer? Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah. No, because the, the, in, in the uh, TV okay. series, oh, it's, still, it's still about Nola. It's still about Nola in the TV series, just set in 2017. So, yeah. yeah. The, maybe maybe okay. there's two parallel Nolas that exist. One in 1986 and one maybe. in 2017. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but there's a little nod there. So yeah, but she didn't do too much else. But I, I thought she was really good in this film. And I think it was either her first film or very early on in her career. And, um, you know, I just thought like she like embodied that character so well. Um, and she, she had that kind great. of like ever-changing fluid fluidity to her that I thought was essential. Uh, for the character so but how how did you feel about it oh i loved her she also looks like kelly yeah. Rowland to yeah. me <laughs> she does yeah a little bit yeah, yeah little exactly bit. like <laughs> kelly Rowland. i'm like oh my god <laughs> yeah yeah but um, um all around i mean even spike lee's i think is, is great in this and yeah. i think i think he's an, I think he's an underrated actor it, it, yeah i think he's yeah. good um he's really good yeah so i think he's it's funny. the acting and the, and the dialogue i mean this film's all about like you know yeah, he's very funny mm-hmm. in this. Um, I think the dialogue in this film is great. And um, uh, as you mentioned, Jeremy, very low budget, ind- independent film. Uh, 12 days they filmed it in uh, during the summer of 1985 on a budget of 175000 So it was filmed entirely on location, you know, no sets or anything like that. Um, and I, I, Spike Lee he had a screening at NYU where he, he had to ask for some more, uh, you know, uh, more money to to finish the film pretty much. Um, so he, you know, it was, it was somewhat of a struggle, I'm sure to make this film, but, uh, once it came out, it definitely put him on the map. And, um, I would say do the right thing was probably the one that really broke him through to the mainstream. But this one, you know, we're talking about eighties independent films and I thought we couldn't leave this one out cause it was so important for a lot of reasons. Um, but, um, you know, because, and also because the budget was so tight, there was no retake. So, you know, things like that, like we talked about with some of these other films, just like, 
you know, <laughs> it's sort of like guerrilla filmmaking. It's like, you know, depending on how much money you have, um, you know, these things, these shoots can be really tough. Um, but I think at the end of it, like for a first film, um, we've talked about a couple of uh, premiere films from these from directors and I think this was a very strong first effort from Spike Lee and I'm a big fa- you know a big fan of Spike Lee I've, I've seen not all his movies but I've definitely I, it's like I can't watch just one like I just want to go like watch all his movies now um, but I don't know how, how do you what's your uh, relationship with Spike Lee films uh, how do you both feel about him as a director writer I love him yeah, um, yeah. you know I, I think my, my first Spike Lee film I ever saw was the Crooklyn film mm. and it was the first time I ever saw myself on screen mm. you know I'd never seen a story about a little black girl yeah. Yeah. and just she's not in pain right. it's like she's yeah. she's just living mm-hmm. and human so yeah I, I, I love him for that mm. um, and you know just the way he tells a story it, it, it's just about different relationships and yeah. um, with family and friends and characters have every character has a world of their own, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. So yeah. no one feels like a sideline character. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And it- yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a, I'm a huge Spike fan as well. Mm-hmm. I just think everything he does. Um, and, and obviously now, you know, we know the Spike Lee style, so it's probably, mm-hmm. which uh, artists are always evolving. And, um, but like, especially like early on for him, what he just, I think infused, um, eighties and nineties filmmaking. It was just such a lifeline because his films were just so full of, this energy and yeah. bold experimentation, but not in a way that felt cheap or mm-hmm. um, like hokey. Like it felt like he was experimenting because he, you know, came from Brooklyn and he was infusing his films with this this energy, energy. of being someone who's from a city. Mm-hmm. And 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 it, like it, it, they all felt everything he does feels so true to who he is yeah. as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he, he's definitely a favorite of mine as well. Definitely, and apparently Martin Scorsese. Uh, taught him film directing at NYU and you can see mm-hmm. there's like a through line there. I feel like, you know, we, you mentioned the word energy. Mm-hmm. I, when I think of Spike Lee films, I think of energy. They just have so much mm-hmm. energy to them and um, they're very kinetic and very much like Martin Scorsese film, you know, just like constantly mm-hmm. moving around. And yeah, I mean, it, there's a vibrancy to it. And um, this was his start and thought it was a very strong start and uh, oh, great film. Also one thing to note too, I know you just mentioned NYU, um, Spike Lee is a professor at NYU. Yeah, um, I think he actually might be the head of the program at this oh, point. Okay. Um, but just oh, wow. just a cool thing is we, we, we come across all different kinds of filmmakers, and some are self-taught, um, and some are film school people. And Spike Lee is one of the film school, you know, diehard film school students mm-hmm. um, and educators, which I, I just think is cool because it's it's nice variety. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, and there is a Netflix show. We mentioned it <laughs> a bunch of times. Yeah, but a bunch of times. It came out in 2017, apparently. Um, I've not seen it, but um, Spike Lee is involved. He's a producer, I believe, on the show. Mm-hmm. And I think it may be canceled, because when I was looking it up, I saw something, yeah. an, an article about that. So uh, I think Spike Lee is mm-hmm. shopping it around currently. So, mm-hmm. but, um, Oh, I, I see. Oh, cool. A couple seasons. That, that's what I read, yeah. So, oh, okay. So, um, but yeah, so it's, there's, she's got to have it. And Katie, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. Back. This was so fun. Yeah, yeah I would love to. This was so need great. more members to the cult, so. <laughs> I've always wanted to join a cult, and, so thanks. <laughs> there now you go. Drink don't drink the Kool-Aid. You're in. <laughs> don't drink, yeah, just don't drink the Kool-Aid. Um, <laughs> all right, so next time on the show, we will be staying in the same year, actually, 1986. We're going to talk about River's Edge. 
uh, another great 80s independent film. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cult Movie Cult. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, or if you'd like to officially join the cult, like Katie has, and be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long from the other side.